The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. High fly ball, way back in center field. It is out of here. A grand slam home run. And this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight for the program here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. What a weekend it was, and what a day it was on the trade deadline for Major League Baseball. They extended it one day this year for whatever reason that Major League Baseball decided that they would not allow the deadline to be held on a Sunday. So they moved it over to today, August 1st, at 4 o'clock, and the Indians maybe made the biggest splash of the entire weekend when they got Maybe the best left-handed reliever in all of baseball in Andrew Miller. I'm sure we've got a guy down south right now that is our resident Reds expert that is going to disagree with me on that as far as Araldis Chapman is concerned. Let's go down south. And he's just a little farther south than he normally is on a regular Monday night, our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are well, you tonight? I'm fine, and my dedication to the show and our millions and millions of fans is no matter where I am in the country, I will get on the phone and I will talk to you about the Cincinnati Reds and lament the fact that the Reds made another trade today, and I defy any fan to tell me who they got. Well, first of all, Mark, I understand you're down in Florida to help out one of the parties in their presidential conquest in November. <laughs> well, I yeah, won't say which one, but it's a pretty good guess. Well, um, <laughs> in terms of what is happening in baseball, David, <laughs> um, the let's move on the, to where people have an excuse for acting crazy for being that's hit right. upside the head. That's right. People who act like they've been hit upside the head. Anyway, um, I think the Indians and the Cubs right now, I mean, if you look at, at this race in both leagues, I, I, I don't know who would bet against a World Series with the Indians and Cubs. And what I like is both teams went out and tried to improve, and I think the Indians improved better than anyone else. They got what they needed, but they came so, oh, so close, oh, so close to having one of the great trade deadline deals of, of recent history when they almost but failed to get Jonathan Lucroy. Well, of course, as you probably figured, I've got an opinion on what Jonathan Lucroy did this weekend. We'll give that here in just a little bit. Mark, there's some discussion over the past few days as to whether it is Andrew Miller or Araldus Chapman that is the best left-handed reliever in baseball. And to be honest with you, Mark, I don't think it matters which one you get. They are both equally good. Dave, I think it depends on the situation. If if there's a runner at third base or bases loaded and nobody out, I take Chapman because he has a, a good chance to strike out three batters in a row. I don't care who they are. But with Andrew Miller, you're getting you pick one out of the hat. It's one and one A. They're both outstanding at their craft. Uh, probably overpaid for what they do, frankly. But, you know, Chapman blew a save did it in Chicago when they asked him to go uh, more than one inning and for the second day in a row. And that has been his issue in Cincinnati. He did not have real good luck. Number one, when he pitched, say, four days, or they tried to get him to pitch five days in a row, or he threw multiple innings. So he's very good at what he does. And he's the last guy I'd want to face, uh, even more so than, Andrew, than, than Miller. But, uh, you know, Miller has a, a, a terrific uh, assortment of pitches. He, I, think he's, I think he's a better pitcher than Chapman. But if I had to get one out with a guy on third and nobody out, 
I would bring in Chapman. Well, we're going to go over the trades that were made. First of all, let's start with this Andrew Miller deal. The Indians got him from the New York Yankees for a package of prospects that include minor league outfielder Clint Frazier. That is the guy, Mark, that the Yankees definitely wanted. Pitcher Justice Sheffield. It was a toss-up, Mark, as to whether the Indians were going to get rid of Sheffield or Brady Aiken. I think they made the right call in keeping Aiken and trading Sheffield. Now, Frazier and Sheffield are considered to be two of Cleveland's top three prospects. Bradley Zimmer is the third one. They managed to keep him. Frazier was selected with the fifth pick in the 2013 draft. Sheffield was drafted in the first round in 2014. They also gave up two other minor leaguers, pitchers Ben Heller and J.P. Fireisen. They are also headed to New York. The Indians also today traded for outfielder Brandon Geyer and gave up outfielder Nathan Lukes and right-handed pitcher John Leiter Salinas. Now, Geyer, he is 30 years old, Mark, but he's an interesting player. He's hitting 241. That's 51 for 212 bat at bats with seven homers, 18 RBIs on the year. But he's hitting 344 with four doubles, four homers, nine ribbies, and a 1.082 OPS against lefties. And he leads the big leagues in being hit by pitches with 23. So he'll move into that left field spot. And the way Rajay Davis has played it tonight against Minnesota, they need somebody that is going to be able to move into the left field spot. Then the Indians, based upon what they did with those two trades, designated two players for assignment. Joey Butler, who really tore up the Cactus League in spring training, and Juan Uribe is now gone. He is no longer a member of the Cleveland Indians. Of course, I've been advocating that, Mark, for about a month. He was trying to join the Pablo Sandoval Weight Watchers Club, <laughs> and it showed in the field. So I think the Indians, you know, Mark, for all intents and purposes, whether this trade works out or doesn't, I have got to stand up and say congratulations to Chris Antonetti for going out and at least making this deal and showing the team, showing the fans, showing the community, and showing the rest of Major League Baseball that they are in this thing to win it. I've got to give Antonetti a lot of credit. I agree. I think the only thing I was surprised about, was maybe it was it was too late, but I thought once they did not sign LaCroix, they would go after and get Jay Bruce uh, to, to pick up that bat. Uh, that's the thing I think, I think they, they needed. With Andrew Miller, obviously, they got the, the best available left-hander after Chapman. And that, that team, what you have to ask yourself in a situation like this is, is the team better now than it was a week ago? And without question, the Cleveland Indians are a better team now than they were a week ago. And you're right. You've got to give the front office the credit to go out there and try and nail this thing down and bring it home. And can you imagine the excitement in a World Series with the Chicago Cubs and the Cleveland Indians? You know, one of those teams hasn't won for, what, 108 or 9 years. And it just seems that way with the Indians. Well, what's it, 1948? 1948. Yeah, 1948, the last time they won. So uh, that would be an exciting World Series. uh, But both those teams are outstanding teams. And, I, you know, honestly, Dave, I'm not just saying this because we're talking about the Reds and Indians. I think in a short series, I like the Indians better. I, I think their pitching staff has more depth through three, you know, one through five. I think they're deeper. And you could take the three guys you don't pitch and put them in the bullpen. Man, that, that is, that, that, that's very strong. Even with Andrew Miller, you could, you could bring in your fourth and fifth starter to pitch the seventh or eighth inning if you need to. You know, that would be, that's terrific. So right now, I think the Indians are the best team in baseball. Uh, the Cubs are, are, they've certainly cooled off from their great start. And if anything hurts them, it's going to be their inexperience, the, the youth, that when you, when you get this close in Chicago and you don't win it, the noose is going to get tighter and tighter, n- not only to win the division, the Cardinals are only, what, five and a half games behind them? And if, if the Cardinals get to two or three games, I think they're going to catch them. 
Now, I think the, the way the standings are, the Cubs are going to make the playoffs you know, one way or the other. But uh, if they do get into the playoffs, the, the pressure goes up exponentially for them to win the first round and the second round and get into the World Series. So it's not going to be easy for the Cubs, but right now I put my money on the Indians. Well, a couple things about these trades, and then I want to move on to the Jay Bruce trade. First of all, Jonathan Lucroy. Mark, I have absolutely no problem with him being able to exercise his no-trade clause. Uh, we talked a little bit before we went on the air. If I was an owner, Mark, there is no way I would ever give a player a no-trade clause. Not in a million years would I do it. Um, now, in Lucroy's position, he negotiated it out. He did the he did the job. He was well within his contractual obligations to turn down the deal to Cleveland. I get it. I understand it. But his reasons for it are off the wall. Absolutely off the wall. Now, there were a couple of reasons that were given that Luke Roy turned down this deal with the Brewers. And to be honest with you, Mark, I think the Brewers probably were a little upset at Luke Roy because they got they were getting four prospects in the deal with the Indians. And they were all top-level prospects, including Mejia, a catcher, who is very well known around the, around the minor league circles and prospect circles. That is who Milwaukee wanted, was Mejia, and he was involved in the deal. They ended up getting two prospects from Texas that don't even match up to two of the guys that the Indians were giving up. I, I think the Brewers were just ready to get rid of Lucroy after this incident happened. But his reasons were, as I said, off the wall, Mark. First one was he wanted a guarantee that he would be the starting catcher going into 2017. First of all, who really has a guarantee on a starting position? I mean, a lot of players do. But if this guy wants a guarantee, look at his backup. Jan Gomes hit 160 this year. If he doesn't think he can beat out Jan Gomes, then what is he doing in Major League Baseball? And the second thing was, yeah, it was probably a ploy for more money. Well, I got news for you, Mr. Lucroy. You didn't get more money to go to Texas. You've got the same contract that you had with Milwaukee. And let's see you catch the final 50 games of the year, probably 40 of them, in 100-degree temperatures down at Arlington Stadium in catcher's equipment. And let's just see how fresh you are at the end of the baseball season. Well, I don't know his motivation you never do. I mean, he, maybe he just didn't want to go to Cleveland, and that was the excuse he used. <clears throat> but if, if from a from a talent perspective, since I just said the Indians are the best team in in baseball, I think they're certainly the best team in the American League. So, what team has the best chance to world, win the World Series? I think it's Cleveland. So, if you want to get a, a ring, it, it would seem to me your decision is go to Cleveland. And I think he has what one more year on his contract after this year. Yes. Uh, so you can always leave after the end of 2017, but that team has a chance to be a world champion. So th there's something that doesn't add up with that, uh, but it's his decision. He's earned the right to do that. You can't deny that. He's played, what, for six years or whatever it's been with Milwaukee and ten years in the league. No, that's uh, not it. He's got a no-trade clause in his contract. I know, he hasn't no been in the league for ten years. Well, He's no not a five-and-ten player. The, the no trade clause is a non-enforceable clause to the extent that it just gives the player the option to say, "I don't want to go somewhere," but right. that you only use that as a mechanism to negotiate a deal better, get more money, uh, get a long, you know, renegotiate my contract now for another three years or whatever. Uh, most players use that as a tool. And it is given sparingly by most most clubs, but you said you wouldn't give a player that. Well, in today's world, then you wouldn't sign many players because all of them have that in there. Oh, I agree. I probably wouldn't. But then again, I wouldn't be signing these players for the amount of money that they're getting, like uh, Pujols out in Los Angeles and uh, other players that are getting these outlandish contracts. You know, another thing is, Mark, 
the Indians weren't going to, they're not going to sign Carlos Santana at the end of this season. He's going to be a free agent. Luke Roy is 30 years old right now. He'd be 31 at the end of next year. He'll be 32 when he's a free agent. How many 32-year-old catchers, Mark, do you know that get a long-term contract in Major League Baseball? Not many. And Luke Roy would have had the opportunity with Cleveland to split his time between catcher, first base, and DH, the way Santana did earlier. And they, they would do that for him, and, and he would literally take the place of Carlos Santana. He could probably extend his career out until he's 38, 39, 40. But if he's a catcher, Mark, he's not going to catch until he's 38 or 39. Yes, but everything he, you just said, he can do it. Everything you said he could do in, in Cleveland, he can do in Texas. He can play first base down there, and, and don't forget Prince Fielder. They've got Fielder. Mitch Moreland and Prince Fielder. Yeah, I know. He's not but, playing first base in F- Texas. F- well, Fielder is hurt again this year. He weighs right. about 320 pounds. I don't think he has a long career left. So, And Moreland is certainly not a household name. Not that, that Luke Curry wouldn't catch. But he's going to have an opportunity to play first base. And, I, you know, frankly, I've never seen him play first base. I didn't know that he I did. never have either, but that's a position. You know, I, I, most with Terry Francona, Mark, you watch these guys play a position. They've never played it before in their lives anyway. Uh, Ramirez has been playing left field all year long, and, and he never played the outfield until last year. Yeah, but any infielder, can, unless they're a third baseman, can play left field. Um, that's that's an easy transition. What's more, a hell of a lot more difficult is to take an outfielder and put him in the infield. That's a lot more difficult. But uh, yeah, most a shortstop, as an example, can play any position. They've got a great arm. They're quick. They're fast. Uh, they can they can certainly play. Look at the way Hamilton went from shortstop to center field. He's center field. And he's the best center fielder in baseball right now. So this moving around the players, I don't think it's a big deal. But back to Luke Roy, I, I think there must be something we don't know. Maybe he just simply wanted to go to Texas. That's all. And But he turned down that deal, and they, I'm sure they probably told him, well, we're talking to three teams, and Cleveland wants you, and here's where we'd like to have you go there. And he goes, no, I don't want to go there. Well, we're, we're talking to Texas, too, and, you know, we have a deal there. And, okay, I'll go there. So whatever it was, he didn't announce it. And it could be something as basic as I don't like Cleveland. <laughs> it could be that. Oh, and, and that, that very, very, may very well be. He had eight teams on his no trade list. Texas was not one of them, so he had no alternative but to go to Texas. Um, so I mean that. But Jonathan Lucroy, if the Indians and the Rangers meet in the playoffs, and he comes to Cleveland. He has never heard the wrath of Cleveland fans <laughs> until he comes there in October for the playoffs. Mark, this trade with Jay Bruce. They got infielder Dilson Herrera and left-handed pitcher Max Wotel. Tell me something. The Reds have to be stockpiled with left-handed pitchers in the minor leagues now. Yeah, they do, and they're also stockpiled with middle infielders, which I don't. They, you know, they spent seven million dollars on a Cuban kid, and was he seventeen years old? Uh, and he's a shortstop, and they have four or five other shortstops and second baseman in the system. I don't know where you're going to play them all. So unless they're packaging up something for a bigger deal, uh, you know, after the waiver deadline or something or next year, I, I don't know. But I, I, what I was wondering was this deal with Jay Bruce almost did not go through again. There was another deal in place that fell through literally around three o'clock in the afternoon. Somebody didn't pass a physical for the what, the fifth time. And and the deal was canned and they replaced him with the two players you just mentioned. Uh, I don't know much about them. All I heard about the second baseman, uh what's his name? Dilson? Dilson. Dilson Herrera. Dilson Herrera. Uh he he's got some pop. Uh, he, he's, he's a good second baseman. He's had good speed. But that describes about 200 second basemen in the minor leagues right now. So I don't know what they got. Maybe maybe the sleeper is a left-hand pitcher they got. 
maybe he's the guy that they really wanted, uh, but I don't know why they changed the deal, but they did. And the kid, I forgot now the kid's name that was in that deal originally, um, the kid that they were talking about what a great player he was, and then, then they don't get him. So I don't know why it changed. But I, I really feel sorry for Jay Bruce. And the Cincinnati organization today lost not only an outstanding player, but a really good guy, uh, a good citizen, somebody who's never embarrassed this organization. And I think they could have done better by him. And frankly, what I would have done is waited until the end of the season to trade Jay Bruce, uh, mainly because I think you didn't have more teams interested. Uh, if he would have made somewhat of a dice roll with Jay, uh, if he would have had a good September and August and he would have ended up with, you know, 40, 42 home runs, 130 RBIs, my God, the market for him over the winter would have been sky high because you still had a year left of him, uh, of $13 million option. So they, again, they made the quick deal now. I don't think they maximized what they could have gotten, just like they didn't get anything for Chapman. They moved too soon. And I felt sorry for Jay to go through this. And the other thing is the Reds right now, surprisingly, have the best record in baseball after the All-Star break. They've won five straight series against some good teams, and some bad teams too, but they're, they're playing good ball. They're getting very good pitching. Uh, Homer Bailey came back from his surgery yesterday, uh, pitched almost six innings of, of uh, one-run ball, uh, and, and pitched very well. Uh, he was still in 96-97 and did not seem to tire. So that's good news. And so the Reds are somewhat on a roll right now, and you wonder where they would have finished if, if they would have kept Jay Bruce. Now, they did keep Zach Cozart. That deal with Seattle did not go through. And even though at, I think at 315 it was a deal, and something happened and it, and it fell through, we'll probably never know what happened. But um, you know the Reds are playing good ball, and the, the, the problem the Reds have now—they've got so many young guys. They got Scott Shebler, and I would—I've not seen it on the internet yet, but I would bet they're going to bring up Scott Shebler tonight to play against the Cardinals tomorrow. So I don't have my computer in front of me today, but you. If you check that before the end of our show, uh, you might see that they've done that. I, I'd be surprised if they didn't. So they, they've got, uh, you know, a, a good role going, uh, but this team is still probably going to end up in last place. Although they have a chance to maybe finish as high as fifth or fourth. Well, yeah, as as far as fourth, and Milwaukee basically is packing everything in. I mean, they got rid of Will Smith this afternoon. He went to the Giants. We'll talk about that here in a little bit, but. I, I, you know, I'm looking at Twitter, Mark, and see Trent Rosencrans, who was on our show a couple of years ago, and we had some fun with him. Um, basically, he has come out and said since the beginning that Jockety was in charge. The approach at the trade deadline has not changed. He said it seems like the Reds need a succession plan. And somebody needs to nudge Walt out the door. It's about time somebody brings that up, Mark. We've been talking about that now for close to three years, that Walt Jockety is destroying the Cincinnati franchise. Yeah, I've said this, as you well know. You've heard me moan about this for for at least three years. He doesn't, not that he doesn't care, but he doesn't care, care. Because next year he's going to be gone. And what happens in two or three years with these trades? Frankly, I look at this that Walt Jockety has been given his marching orders by ownership, make us more money. That means you get rid of these contracts. More goes to bottom line. You pay your stockholders a dividend based on profitability, and their profitability will go up. When you're not paying Jay Bruce $12 million a year, when you're not paying a role as Chapman, when you're not paying Todd Frazier, all these guys are gone. Uh, Johnny Cueto, Mike Leake, goes on and on and on. These were all guys making a lot of money. And what would the Reds be right now if they had all those guys back? Would they win the division? Maybe, maybe not. But the reason they lost the division was not the talent. It was the fact those guys got hurt. But if the Reds had Johnny Cueto and Homer Bailey and 
Tony DiScafani as your top three guys in your rotation, and they they would have a chance to win. And that's what they would have right now. But they don't. All those outstanding players are gone, and they're really starting over. And right now may be the nadir of this organization right now in terms of talent because it's just not there. And honest to God, I, I don't see where it is. You know, the, the Dayton Dragons have one of the worst minor league baseball teams in professional baseball. They're in last place, or at least aggregately. They, they, I think they're maybe third or fourth in the second half of the season. But uh, the, the point being that the, I don't see it manifesting itself that this program has worked. You would think they would have enough talent after all the players they traded away. Wouldn't you think they would be in first place in just about every level of professional ball that they're in? They're not. Well, you know, back in when the Reds were competing for the division title, Mark, like you brought up, they had two glaring problems. One was in left field and one was at third base. He never took care of either position, Mark. He had the starting pitching. He had the relief pitching. He had the defense. Yeah, they had some problems with their lineup back then, but that was because they had holes in left and third base. When Todd Frazier finally came up and started hitting the baseball, then they had a hole in left field, and that's when... The team started to go downhill. They got rid of Dusty Baker. They brought in Brian Price, and they decided to go with this reclamation project. Now, Walt Jockety, in his years in St. Louis, we've talked about it, he almost destroyed the St. Louis franchise. He's got his hands on this Cincinnati franchise, and he hasn't done a thing to help out this franchise. As a matter of fact, I can only think of two deals, Mark, that he has made that have benefited the Cincinnati team. One of them was here just a few months ago when he got DeSclafani for Matt Latos. That was the last trade that I can remember that Walt Jockety has made that benefited the Cincinnati Reds. Well, you could argue that Adam Duvall has benefited the Cincinnati Reds power-wise. That was the second one. Yeah. That's the second deal. He's got 25 home runs, but he's hitting 245. So his future, his success is still in front of him. He hasn't established himself yet. He can hit a baseball a long way, but he only has four home runs since June 1st. So, he's, he, you know, he's slowed down a little bit. I'm sorry, since July 1st, he only has four home runs. So he slowed down, and that's that's expected. Uh, can he be a good left fielder for you? Yeah, if you're okay with a guy who's going to hit a lot of home runs and not have a high average. Who's that sound like in left field? Sounds like Adam Dunn. Uh, he's got Dunn power. He does. And he's a much better defensive player. So I think that has been a good acquisition. But on on the aggregate, when you name the players the Reds have gotten, and I'm going to use the Johnny Cueto deal with Kansas City, though he got they got three left-handers, and this this is something that drives me insane. The Reds went out and got three left-handers from Kansas City. Well, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they have a significant losing record collectively. They have an ERA well above five and a half, maybe as high as six with those three guys. So let me ask you something, Dave. If you are a team like the Reds, why do you settle for three mediocre left-hand pitchers for a Johnny Cueto as opposed to getting the best single player you can from Kansas City? Wouldn't that make more sense? You get the best player you can, and forget this three-for-one stuff, which hardly ever works out. You know, I said something to Greg Mitchell the other day, our producer, about these deals, and I made the comment kind of flippantly, but it does make a lot of sense in the fact that when you look at these deals, Mark, it, it just doesn't make any sense as to what they have done. They've gotten an abundance of nothing, and it almost goes back to the scouting department, Mark, and that's, that was the point that I wanted to make. The scouting department really has to be held with their feet to the fire also, 
for saying that these are the guys to bring in if that's what they're doing. It almost makes you go back to the March shot days, Mark, when she just said, all these guys do is watch baseball games. What do we need them for? That's right. Well, actually, what do you need them for? Because either Walt Jockety is not listening to their advice or their advice is really poor. Yeah, and it's it's so consistent that, and I can't say it's just the Reds that do this, but when you see a, a deal where it's one player for four, you can rest assured the four players they're getting, none of them are any good. It's almost a guarantee. Now, if you go down to three players, maybe one guy's good, or two players, hopefully one is good. But I, w- I would rather opt for, I'll give you Johnny Cueto, but I want a top draft pick. I don't care if he's a pitcher, he's an outfielder. I want a guy with a high ceiling. He could be in single A ball. I don't care. But I want a guy who's a three, four, five to a player, or a pitcher through a 98. Maybe he's a little wild, but he's got great upside. Rather than three guys who you don't even want on your roster, I would bet you that you combine the three pitchers the Reds got. I'd be shocked. If those guys are still with the Reds, maybe Finnegan will be with the Reds. But Reed is what zero and five now, zero and six. He's got a six point seven five ERA. Uh, he, and and, and who's the other guy? The other left-hander with a tattoo. I don't even want to remember his name. Uh, he, he's in the minors now. Uh, he, he had like a seven ERA. So w- what's the point? Why are you getting bad players? Get one player. Get the best athlete you can no matter where he plays, and start building your organization with, with talent. Well, neither one of these two players that the Reds got, Herrera or Wotel, were in the top 100 of prospects according to several different publications. So the Reds traded a top ball player in Jay Bruce for a couple of ball players that weren't even in the top 100 of minor league baseball players. Back to Cleveland very quickly. I want to hear from Terry Francona and what he said about how the organization went out and got Andrew Miller and what he had to say about Chris Antonetti. And then I want to bring that into what a couple of other people said today on the radio around Cleveland. Not not just what it does for our team statistically, wins and losses, but the message it sends is... There, you're going to see guys with some extra bounce in their step because we are an organization that we have to build from within and we have to have our prospects. And like Chris said, you don't get a guy like Andrew Miller without giving up some really good players. You know, it's not like you're going to steal Andrew Miller. It's costly, but I think our team deserves the chance. And they're going to get the chance, Mark. I thought it was rather funny that yesterday I heard on the radio a couple of guys that, that talk a lot of baseball, Michael Regai and Greg Brenda up here in Cleveland. They love to talk baseball. They're the only two that really do on the Cleveland Airwaves, and, and it, they are just a couple of backup guys. But they were talking about this deal, Mark, and they made a comment that I was thinking, and I have said it time and time and time again. It's about time the national media start listening to you and I, Mark, because they're starting to get smart. If the Indians still had Mark Shapiro as team president, this deal for Andrew Miller would have never been made. He accounted the minor league ball players as gold and would never, ever have traded Frazier and Sheffield away, even if it meant getting Andrew Miller. So that is another reason that I've got to stand up and applaud Antonetti for taking the guts and going ahead and getting this guy. One thing you have to come to grips with when you make trades like this, particularly for teams that are trying to win, is that you're not going to know how good those trades were for several years if you're the team giving up an Andrew Miller. The Yankees aren't going to win this year. And I think they went ahead, they got rid of Chapman. I mean, look at their bullpen at the beginning of the year. Could that have been the best bullpen of all time? <laughs> I mean, you, you Could have Chapman. Been. And, I mean, name me a bullpen ever that had three guys like that. How, how, about, how, about the big, how about the big three back in 90 with the Reds? Yeah, that, that, I was just going to bring that up. That's, that's as close. But I don't think any one of those three 
was as dominant as either Chapman or Miller. They were good. I mean, you know, they all threw hard and they were good competitors. But I think Chapman and Miller would have would have been better than Charlton or Meyer. You know, maybe Dibble in his prime would have been the other, you know, the right-hander. But uh, you know, I, I think those guys would have beaten out two of those three uh, with with the, the bad boys. So that I think that's the best bullpen I've ever seen seen assembled on a major league roster. I, I, I defy anybody to come up with a better one. But Mark, the team, the, the, team, the, the team that uh, traded away Chapman and the team that traded away Andrew Miller. I think the Yankees did the smart thing. They weren't going to win. They got rid of those guys. And now, watch out, because they can start building. they got the money. And if they smell it next year, and they got rid of uh, Beltran. So, you know, they're going, to be, they're going to be free and loose with money this year, and they may be back quicker than you think. Well, they could turn right around and, and re-sign Chapman. That's right. And I heard that. I heard that. That's a good point. Uh, and he may want to go back there because that's probably his chance to get the most money. Absolutely. Mark, I- I've got a bone to pick about Araldus Chapman. In his press conference, h- how many years has this guy been in Major League Baseball? I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. How been... in the world can he not understand the English language and not speak it? I don't know. I mean, other than I heard that he can speak it, uh, and he doesn't. The same with Johnny Cueto. Uh, Johnny Cueto could speak pretty good English. I heard him speak. And Alexius uh, is another guy who will never be interviewed in English. And he was a tenant of mine in the condo down in Cincinnati, and I spoke to him. He doesn't speak great English, but he speaks good enough. But you would think those guys making that kind of money could make so much money for themselves beyond that with endorsements and things if they would just learn to speak the language. You're, you're right. But, you know, Chapman, they say Chapman is maybe the best athlete in professional baseball. This guy can hit a baseball about 500 feet. He he has twice in batting practice cleared the sun deck (laughs) at uh, Great American Ballpark. He can outrun Billy Hamilton. That's what I've heard. He can outrun Billy Hamilton around the bases. And last year, there was a, he was on first base and there was a double and he, one of the few times he got on base. He looked like a racehorse. I'm, Dave, I'm, I was stunned. And not only that, the guy was a professional boxer. And nobody wants to mess with him. He is a bad dude. He was 6'4", 6'5", weighs about 210. I mean, he, he's, he's a great athlete. And uh, they said he, he, could have, he could have played the position in Major League Baseball. That's, that's how good he is. So you would think guys who are going to be around for a long time, Come on, guys. Learn the language. Absolutely. And and I think he did himself more harm than good during that press conference when they were questioning him about the domestic violence by not just coming right out and talking in English. Well, that's probably why he didn't. And it, it made absolutely no sense whatsoever that he didn't. And it was it was just a problem that was brought to the forefront The media decided to ask him several questions, and he decided that he was not going to answer them in English. He depended upon his translator, and it just turned a bad situation into a worse situation. There were a lot of people in Chicago that didn't want Araldus Chapman, and then what ended up happening was he goes out over the weekend and blows a save, and that didn't help his his entire uh, debut with the Cubs at all. And as you said, Mark, as this continues on and on and on, it's something that they're going to be taking a look at, I would think, down the road. Who knows if the Cubs are even going to try to uh, re-sign him. Now, first of all, let's talk about what has happened with these other deals that went down today. I think a couple of teams really made hay this afternoon, including the San Francisco Giants. The Giants got left-handed pitcher Matt Moore from Tampa Bay. He got traded to the Giants for third baseman Matt Duffy, shortstop Lucius Fox. No, not the guy from Batman, not that Lucius Fox. This guy is the shortstop 
for, or used to be the shortstop for the San Francisco Giants, and right-handed pitcher Michael Santos. They also got left-handed pitcher Will Smith for right-handed pitcher Phil Bickford and catcher Andrew Suzak. So, Mark, as we were talking, with the Giants, I think that they really made some strides here this afternoon with the trades that they made. Yeah, and that's another team that does it so well consistently. And that's why, you know, this is the year, Dave. <laughs> it's, a, it's an even number yeah, year. It is. And, you know, they can, they can win it again. So they're, they're, they go for it. And that's what I admire about the teams. Unlike the Reds, who have, the, the Reds are going to be down for another two or three years. At least that means six or seven years of non-competitive baseball. The Giants don't do that. They may have one bad year, but they'll come back and win the World Series the next year. And that's that's the sign of good leadership, a good front office, that puts a competitive team on the field on a consistent basis. And that's what the Reds have not done. Well, the Dodgers went out today also, and I thought they made a pretty good deal. They got outfielder Josh Reddick and left-handed pitcher Rich Hill from Oakland for right-handed pitchers Jarrell Cotton, Grant Holmes, and Franti Montes. Now, Rich Hill was placed on the DL yesterday because he's he's got a continuing problem with a blister on his forefinger. But Josh Reddick is a guy, Mark, that I was interested in maybe picking up for the Indians. He is a good defensive outfielder and has really been a little subpar from the plate this year, but a change of scenery from Oakland to L.A. may do him some good. You know, I was thinking about the Dodgers and, and the Indians, and I tell you, what I wouldn't have been tempted to do if I was the Indians, because you can get him on the cheap now, is Yasiel Puig. The Dodgers want to get rid of him. They'll eat part of his contract, but he's got so much talent. And that and would be a guy you could head. have on your – Yeah, exactly. But to win a World Series, maybe you pick him up for a year, giving him a shot. It's not going to cost you much. But if he were to turn it back on, he's got a full hamstring, I guess, for the last 30 days. This is the longest hamstring pull I've ever heard of. But the Dodgers tried to make a deal for Yasiel Puig for Jay Bruce and another pitcher. And the Reds said no. And the Dodgers said, well, we'll eat some of his contract. And the Reds said no. So that tells you where his value is right now. And, but he's the kind of guy that if he catches light in the bottle, he, he could really, he could really help a team in the short term. Well, another trade that was made today, Texas, not only did they get Jonathan Lucroy, but they got Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran went to Texas for right-handed pitchers Dylan Tate, Eric Swanson, Nick Green. They went, all went back to the Yankees. I think that's a pretty good, um, deal for Texas to pick up Carlos Beltran. He's going to be out of his contract at the end of the year, but it picks them up a short-term bat. It does, but again, that three-for-one thing, and, and maybe Beltran didn't have that much value. That's all they could get, some warm bodies for him. But I, I don't think any of the guys that, that New York got uh, you know, are going to help them in the long term, other than filling out minor league rosters. But Beltran certainly could help Texas. And that's where I think he, he he can he could do pretty well. Mark, the Cubs got Joe Smith from the Angels, the uh, sidewinding right-hander reliever from the Angels. I think that is a very good pickup for the Cubs. I think he's going to help them from the right side of that bullpen. Yeah, he's a right state grad, as a matter of fact. And uh, I, I I go out there during the basketball season, I see there's a, a row of photographs and then Joe's there. Yeah, that, that's a good pickup. I mean, he's a solid guy and he's not a, a superstar. But when you're filling out your roster for the playoffs, you are literally looking at situations where a player can come in and get a key out. It may be one. It may be a, a, a guy who can bunt uh, where you need a bunt. It's now coming down the teams that are making these trades are going all in. The Cubs, uh, Texas, the Giants, the Indians. These teams have a legitimate chance to win the World Series. And now they're looking for that fine-tuning. Where can we get an extra out? Where is that left-hander that we just picked up? Is he going to be good just for the eighth inning? Or is he going to be good for the ninth inning as well? They're starting to make these strategic and tactical decisions, which is kind of exciting because they're going for it. 
And you know, there's only one team that wins the last game of the year. That's it. And you go through all this stuff, these millions of dollars, 200 baseball games during the middle of the year, and it comes, it can come down to not only one game, but one inning of one game. Need I remind you of the Indians and Mesa in 1995? Well, not 95, 97. I'm sorry, 97. Yeah, I'm just ready to correct myself. In 97. And what would have been the organization had he gotten through that ninth inning? Well, <laughs> people would forget the fact that they didn't trade Jarrett Wright for Pedro Martinez. Well, the, the whole, you know, they win a World Series in 97, and it changes the direction of that organization for at least a couple of years. It really does. Uh, the disappointment of coming back in 98 when you were so close and not having that those final three outs loom large. Every Indian fan, I'm sure, thought about that over, over the long winter. And, it, you know, one game like that can change the direction of an organization, both internally and externally. Think about the buildup for that team going into 98 had they won that. Uh, of course, they were selling out that place anyway. But I, I'm just saying that the... You, when you when you fill out your rosters, it's different in July going into August than it is in March and April. In March and April, you're rolling dice. You have a, a chance to roll dice because you have you know six, three extra months. But you get down to the final two months, and it's you got to make some good decisions. Mark, one other note about Joe Smith. Are you familiar with Allie LaForce? She's a sideline reporter for CBS. Yes, 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 yes. That is his wife. Yeah, I heard. I heard that. I knew that. Now that you yeah. mentioned it. Yeah. That's the best part about getting Joe Smith on the Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, well, the Nationals, the Washington Nationals, are really flying under the radar here. They went out and got Mark Melanson from the Pirates on Friday. Now, I think that trade there really puts Washington in the driver's seat, I think, for the National League title. Yeah, I, I think it does. But that team has got some holes in it. And I, I'm, you'd be surprised, but I'm starting with Bryce Harper. Look at his numbers. He's still got the power numbers. But the last time I looked, he was hitting 240. And you can't have your number three hitter hitting 240 and go very far in the playoffs. Now, he may turn it around. I don't know. But that I'm not as sold on that team as maybe many others are. I, I think they'll do okay. Uh, they have a chance to win it all. Obviously, with that roster, they should win it all. Uh, I mean, you look at their 25-man roster, it may be as, as good as any in baseball, but some of the guys aren't performing. And it doesn't matter what it looks like on paper. You've got to put it into, uh, into numbers. And right now, Bryce Harper's having a, a real go of it. And it's the same old story. The pitchers are making adjustments to him. They're not giving him anything good to hit, and he's 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 fishing. He's going on fishing expeditions when he comes to the plate, and that that's really going to show up big time uh, in the in the playoffs. And I, I think what's going to help that team more than anything else is going to be Dusty Baker. I, I think he's a cool hand at the helm. Uh, he will get this team, I think, over the rough spots, but. Uh, again, you've got to add Washington to that list of teams that, that legitimately have a chance to win the World Series. There are some teams that can get to the playoffs, and of course, once you get to the playoffs, you can get hot, uh, like the Cardinals did a couple of years ago, and you can, you can march through and you can win it. And look what the Giants did, it was in 2012 and 2010. They weren't supposed to win the World Series, but they got hot and they did. So anything can happen, but Again, right now, I think you, Dave, have in the catbird seat watching, I think, the best team in baseball, and this could be a magic year for Cleveland. But here's the question about Dusty Baker. He has got a problem child in the bullpen at Jonathan Papelbon. Papelbon was their closer. They bring in Melanson. Now he's going to be the closer. Papelbon, you know, he's got an ego as fragile as, as glass. He's going to be moved back to the eighth inning. Is Dusty Baker manager enough to be able to handle this type of a situation where Papelbon could just explode at any time? Well, I think he's going to be moved back to the seventh inning, not the eighth. 
they're, they're not going to let him, you know, set up Melanson and blow a lead. I mean, this guy has been getting, he's been getting hammered. Uh, he's, everything he throws up there, and he's at the back end of his career. He doesn't throw as hard. He's, he's lost location. And I, I think, and I would hope, he's enough of a professional to understand, hey, this team has a chance to win it, and I'm not throwing well right now. I don't want to go out there and be the reason we don't win it. That would be, I think, the response of most players. If he was 30 years old again, yeah, maybe he's having a slump, but he's, what, 36, I think. So he's, for a closer, that's pretty old. And plus, I think he's a jackass, but uh, aside from that, um, he's always been a jackass, so that doesn't, that doesn't increase or hurt with your records. Speak your mind, Mark. Don't hold back. Tell us exactly what you think about Jonathan Papelbon. He's, he's the you know, The Indians had their Hall of Fame ceremony, Mark, and it was a controversial ceremony on Saturday. First of all, Albert Bell decided that even though he was being inducted into the Indians Hall of Fame, he was not going to show up. He was on vacation with his family, and for the fourth consecutive year when they've tried to induct him, he's been on vacation in the month of July, and the Indians would not move him aside. So they went ahead and inducted him without him being around. So Albert Bell went into the Indians Hall of Fame. Jim Tomey also went into the Cleveland Indians Hall of Fame, etching his name into the history books. How many guys, Mark, have had a statue built for them before they were named to the Hall of Fame? Well, uh, let me see. I think there's been 11. <laughs> no, Dave, I'm just and, making that up. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Tomey um, had that done. And let me, let's go back to Albert Bell for a second. <clears throat> Does that surprise you that he didn't yes show up? No. You know, oh, nothing anymore surprises me with Albert Bell. It, it never did. Um, you know, when Albert, as, as you said about Papelbon, Albert was always a jackass, but he was Cleveland's jackass. And, you know, as long as he was hitting 50 homers a year and driving in 100 runs, nobody cared. But now his act is worn thin, so no, it doesn't surprise anyone. It's just a shame that he decided he wanted to do it this way. Well, Another guy that was named, who was inducted, Mark, was Frank Robinson. And, of course, he became the first African-American manager in the major leagues with the Indians in 1975. And they also inducted Charlie Jamison, who starred for the team in the 1920s. Jim Tomey obviously was very thankful to be inducted into the Indians Hall of Fame. Well, I mean, it's an honor. It's, it's special. It's humbling. I mean, there's so many words you could, you could use to describe I think when you get drafted by an organization, you you feel honored, and then you play your career, and then at the end of your career, they decide to put you in in a award or a, a, an induction like this is just incredible. I uh, feel blessed <laughs> and honored that uh, you know they would they would let me come into this with the guys that are in it, obviously, but all those great players that played here along the way. Well, I like Jim Tomey. Obviously, it was incredible to him. It was humbling. It was it was great. Uh, I think he used every adjective that he could possibly use during during hey, one, that, one, that cut. One guy you glossed over. Can you think of another player that has been inducted into four Hall of Fames like Frank Robinson? No, absolutely he was, not. He was inducted in, into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, of course. But he's also in the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame, the Cleveland Indians Hall of Fame, and the Baltimore Orioles Hall of Fame. I I bet there's – I can't think of one other player that's done that. I I would agree with you. It it would be very, very difficult. There's a couple that I think Griffey will be inducted into the Reds Hall of Fame eventually, maybe, although he didn't play that many years with the Reds. But I can't think of many players that are even in two. Uh, there may be a manager that could have been inducted in three, but I can't, for, for the life of me, I can't think of anybody that's been inducted into four. <laughs> you know, I remember, Mark, when Frank Robinson became manager of the Indians, and they did it really as a publicity ploy. It was a big decision made by the Indians with Phil Seggy 
and Gabe Paul when they were running the team. Of course, the team was playing at Old Municipal Stadium. They brought Frank in in September on one of those waiver wire deals. Ken Aspermani was the manager in 1974. The Indians actually weren't a bad ball club in 74. Uh, they finished third in the division, in the old Eastern Division. They were showing some promise, but in order to sell tickets for the next year, Saggy and Paul decided to get rid of Aspermani and bring in Frank Robinson to be the player manager of the Indians. And do you remember what he did on opening day in 1975? Hit a home run. Hit a home run in his first at bat yep. as player manager of the Indians. He DH'd himself. Um, I never really thought he was that good a manager with anybody, except for Washington. It seemed like, Mark, he, he learned down the road. The older he got, he actually learned that some of these players were not as good as he was, and he finally understood that and was able to relate to them better in his last job as managing the Washington Nationals. Yeah, he was my favorite player when I was growing up. I was a Reds fan, obviously, and uh, Frank Robinson and Beta Penson were my two favorite players of all time for the Reds. And when they traded him to the Baltimore or- Orioles for Dick Simpson, Jack Bolson, and Milt Pappas, again, my explanation, three bad guys for one great guy, uh, I, I couldn't sleep for weeks. He was my favorite player. And I can still see him pounding the ball off that big scoreboard in Crosby Field in Cincinnati. Uh, and, man, he would have been – the numbers he would have put up. Can you imagine adding Frank Robinson to the big red machine? That's well, what let me ask happened. you this. What was it like you, – you remember this better than I do. What was it like in 1970 when he came back to Cincinnati with Baltimore to play in the World Series against the team that brought him into the major leagues? Well, it was terrible. Because he hit a home run, he hit at least one home run in the World Series, I remember that. But, again, he would have, I mean, this is a Hall of Fame player that traded away. And, I, frankly, I don't know where he would have played on that team. Uh, maybe he would have played right field and played in place of Ken Griffey. Uh, but imagine Frank Robinson with Tony, Tony Perez, Johnny Bench, Pete Rose, uh, George Foster, I mean, that that would have been the greatest team of all time. I mean, by, by a factor, and you could argue the Reds were, were that anyway. But uh, imagine what he could have done, and could he have turned that 1970 World Series around if he'd been playing for the Reds? And maybe they could have won in 68 and 69 because they were close both years. It's just amazing how one trade of a great player like that can really impact a team. Well, you know, but... Then again, this is revisionist history. Would the trade for Joe Morgan and Dennis Menke been made? Uh, who knows? I mean, the Reds needed a second baseman no matter what, uh, so that maybe the, the Morgan trade would have happened. But I think what what caused that trade was the fact they did not win in '68 and '69. So if you have if you have um, Frank Robinson, you wouldn't have had to make that trade. He could have played maybe, you know, you'd still have Lee May, which means Tony Perez would have gone to third. And, you know, the, the, the machinations would have gone on and on and on. Maybe uh, Pete Rose would have stayed at second base. Who knows? But uh, it, it's it's never going to hurt a team to have Frank Robinson in your lineup. No matter, no matter where you have to play him, you know, that's, that team is going to be better because of Frank Robinson. It, Mark, one final question before we wrap it up for tonight. Is this an aberration with the Reds, the way they're playing since the All-Star break? Well, I think it was an aberration to some extent, but it's going to be quickly unraveling because of Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce has 80 RBIs and 25 home runs, and he's playing great right field, so they're not as good. So that means a team that is barely getting along is now not going to be as good. So you know the, the recipe for that. Well, Mark, the Reds are off tonight. They'll be playing St. Louis tomorrow night, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon, and then they go to Pittsburgh. The Indians, they're playing Minnesota tonight, and they're getting drilled. It's 12-5, to 5, but they've got oh, three more games no. with the Twins. Yes. Uh, they play Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon, and then 
They go to Yankee Stadium. Andrew Miller goes home this weekend as the Indians play the Yankees Friday, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon. That's going to do it for this week. We'll talk to you again next Monday night, Mark. Have a good one, Dave. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget high school football coming up for us on Ultimate Sports Talk. That will be coming up Friday, August 26th. That's just over three weeks from now. And Mark and I will be back again next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's program. But most of all, our thanks go out to you for listening here this evening. For Mark Donahue... I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show, good night. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. Bobby Feller, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Nuke. They knew them all from Boston.